You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Hey, you can take your Bibles out and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. And there on the screen you see just one of many different pictures and scenes we had this past weekend from our plant conference that was hosted by the Great Commission Collective. Various teachers from around the world in preaching God's word and teaching, but then also in some, uh, in some roundtable discussions. We heard from uh, Rwanda as well as some other, uh, uh, the Caribbean region. And, uh, and we had, at, at Hope Kelowna, we had about 50 people register for this. There was about 1,200 people in total. And uh, some of us were in person at various locations, and then also some online, and we were just so grateful to be able to do this and to be able to meet together um, online and, and uh, also in person in this, and, and just the chats and quotes and different things we were able to share with one another. It was indeed a very good weekend, and uh, so you'll probably be hearing more of that. It just as God does not want us, and God's Word does not call us to live lives of mediocrity or just to maintain in church but to plant churches and so we anticipate uh, just that God would lead us as a church what does obedience to his word look like for us well before we get started we have to start with a, a meme we haven't had one for a number of weeks and I thought this one is rather fitting in light of today's message these two bullets collided in the battle of Gallipoli in 1915 look at this the chances of this happening look at that are one in a billion Name something more unlikely to happen? (laughs) Uh, The pastor's uh, sermon uh, ending on time. And we've got a lot of ground to cover. And so, yes, one in a billion. And and we don't use clocks around here. Instead, we like to use calendars. And so as we get to God's Word and uh, preaching that, I I trust that God will do a good work. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Follow along with me in your Word of God that I hope you have right before you. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. In July of A.D. 64, a brutal persecution began at the hands of Emperor Nero against Christians. It started in Rome, but it spread in the next number of years and decades across the entire Roman Empire. Peter wrote this letter just as the persecution was beginning, as a way to prepare God's people for what was yet to come. 
Many false things were oftentimes said about Christians. Brutal things. There was a lot of hate, a lot of slander. Physical persecution began to increase. And this hatred became like a fixed policy for years to come. In fact, for the next 200 years, there would be great persecution against God's people. Christians would be rolled around or painted with pitch and then set on fire as human torches. Or they would have animal skins that would be sewn together, placed over top of them, and then wild beasts would be turned loose as a form of terrible entertainment. They would be randomly lynched, beaten, seared, boiled, scourged, stoned, hanged, nailed to crosses, for no other reason oftentimes than that they would bear the name of Christ. For 200 years, a mere profession of Christianity was itself considered a crime. There was no easy believism, no come to Jesus and life will be awesome kind of preaching in that day. There were no nominal, lukewarm, or cultural maintaining Christians in that day. To follow Christ would mean you would need to be ready to count the cost. And for centuries now, God's people have turned to this amazing letter in 1 Peter, second oftentimes only to the Psalms, or perhaps the book of Job, to find encouragement and understanding and to find hope and help and guidance in the midst of trials and persecution. And as chapter 4 comes to a close and as we desire to work through it today, we see where Peter is writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit, how to experience the best in the worst of times. And that's what our message is called today, how to experience the best, the best of times in the midst of the worst of times. It is possible for the believer of Christ. And he tells us four things, four ways, how in the midst of, the great, of great uncertainty, confusion, trials, suffering, even persecution that we can experience the very best because we get to experience in the midst of it the very best. And what is the very best? God himself. We'll see that here in God's word. And so today, I encourage you, wherever you are at, whatever is going on in your life, whatever you're experiencing, whatever you are going through, there is great and there is living hope found in the pages of God's word, his truth. And, it, and, and when fueled by the Holy Spirit and our eagerness and our hunger for it in our lives and our desire to obey and to, to follow Him, there is hope and there is help available. Regardless of your circumstances, wherever you are at today, there is hope, a living hope. And the first way we can experience the best and the worst of time, I encourage you to write this down, pretty basic today, pretty basic from the text, but, but write this down, expect it, expect suffering. You got to expect it. Pull your head out of the sand, junk the false teachers who will tell you differently that life will be easy, and you need to expect suffering. Look again at verse 1. What does he say here? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as if though something strange were happening to you. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised, he's saying. And notice the very first word, however, in verse 12. And, and we've got to take note of that because it's so important. You've got to understand where our standing is with God. And look at what it says. Beloved. And this literally means loved ones. This is Pastor Peter talking here. 
And he is writing this with tenderness and compassion, imploring them to live this out, but to understand. He says, I love you. And better yet, you are so loved by God. You see, so oftentimes when we face trials and hardships and suffering and uncertainty and persecution, and it comes into our life, so oftentimes our first response is, where are you, God? That doesn't seem to be very loving. You're a God of love, and yet what's happening in my life isn't very loving, doesn't seem very caring. And maybe we even start to think, hey, God is angry at me. I'm paying for it now for the things I've done. He's getting even with me. Peter is writing to believers in Asia Minor. vast majority of them he had never met. And he's been writing to believers through the power of the Holy Spirit. And these are the words of the Holy Spirit for God's people throughout the centuries and for us today. And he is still saying, and God's word to you today is you are still a beloved child of God. He loves you. This is the greatest truth. This is a sweet pillow to be able to rest your weary soul upon today, tonight, tomorrow, in the days ahead, that you are loved. And so when he says, beloved, know that you are loved by God. It's why we end every service here at at, at Hope Church with that reminder. That's why we don't want it just to be callous. If, if, If you forget everything else, if you forget every song, Every little flub up that you might see on the camera. And and you forget every word that is preached. The last thing we wanted, the most important thing that we need to send you home with and send you into the next weekend is with the reminder that you are loved. In difficulty or in times of ease, you are loved. And there is one place in human history that we must set our focus on when we come to understand what this love is all about, and that is the cross, where the very Son of God died. A horrible, a painful, a substitutionary death to provide for us the forgiveness of sins. He died a bloody death on a cross for you and for me, for our sins, for our shame, for our guilt, and for whoever places their faith, their trust, their lives into Jesus Christ, surrendering themselves to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. God commits himself to that person. He commits himself to you and he will commit himself to you and that will never change. Listen, regardless of the circumstances, no matter how badly you have messed up, you need to know this, that God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, when we are far from God, Christ died for us. That is the unmoving, unchanging love of God that is available, that is alive today for me and for you, for all of us who put our faith and our trust in him, regardless of what we face. And so Peter wants us to understand here that suffering trials, even the persecution that we may face, the isolation from people or being ignored or however we may be treated it's not a surprise but it is a plan it's not a surprise but it's a plan biblical christianity no biblical christianity christianity according to god's word reminds us and declares to us you see there's a lot of perversions of christianity and preachers that will tell come to jesus and 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 life will be grand and 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 it'll be wonderful and sweet and you'll be rich and, and and you'll find a full healing from whatever it is that you're facing 
or you are told or you may, uh, may even think because of your upbringing or whatever it, it might be that has been associated with your, your faith journey thus far, that if you just live a relatively good life, moral, faithful, trials will be few and they won't be fiery. Well, God's word here in 1 Peter, and you don't hear many faith prosperity preachers ever preach from 1 Peter. It just kind of goes against, it bucks against their theology. The only problem with the kind of thinking of, of these wrong teachers who just want you to think that everything is going to be grand when it comes to the Christian life is the word of God itself, because it doesn't teach that. And God's word redirects our thinking. You see, suffering is promised even for the most faithful follower, even for someone who has great faith, lives a righteous life, suffering is promised. Read the book of Job if you wonder about that. But look at these verses, and, and, and there's many references here, and you'll have a few moments to write them down as I'm just going to quickly work through some of them, and they'll stay up on the screen. You may want to take a screenshot of them, and or we will also put them on the online lobby on the Telegram app so that you can uh, get it, so that you maybe don't have to be on the mad scramble of writing them all down. But in John 15, verse 20, Jesus said, A servant is not greater than the master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 1 John 3, 13, Do not be surprised, brothers, at the, that the world hates you. 2 Timothy 3, 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will... Underline will, when you look this up later on, will be persecuted. Well, evil people and imposters go from, good to, from, from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceiving, deceived. Matthew 5 says that we will endure reviling and slander for the sake of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4, 4, we looked at that last week. People will speak evil of us. Matthew 10, 11 and 12, we can expect rejection, false accusations made, scourgings for the sake of Christ. Various passages in Acts, look at the chapters in Acts that, that, that show us and, and declare to us that some will endure shame, tribulations, troubles, trials, imprisonments, even martyrdom for the cause of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 says that we will be made a spectacle of before man. Misunderstood, defamed, despised. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6 talks about troubles, afflictions, distresses, evil reports. And notice in verse 12 here in 1 Peter now as you look back to our text today, it says fiery trials. And this, fire, this word fiery trials is a word for furnace. It is like a smelting firm, furnace where the heat gets turned up and precious metals are refined, where impurities are purged. You see, suffering refines us. God allows the various fiery furnaces to come into our lives to prove the genuine state of our faith, to burn off the idols, to burn off our pride, to humble us at times. And, and to be humble before God is the way that we find our hope and our help in Him. That's where He says, now I got you. I got you where I want you. Now allow me to fill you and empower you and strengthen you. And, and so He deals with our reputation, our self-reliance, because we certainly are self-reliant kind of people, aren't we? And through the furnace, He brings us through. And he brings forth something more beautiful, something that is more pure and stronger and bolder and more holy and, and, and a more worshipful faith. And, and he wants us to have our calling and our election sure to be verified, to be tested and approved workmen for God's use. And so believers pass through, we will pass through believers through all time and until Christ returns 
till he calls us home, we will pass through the furnace of testing. And not because God hates us, not because he's, he, he's being mean to us, it's because he loves us and he, he wills our purity. He desires that. You see, God hates sin so much and he loves his children so much more than, he could, than we could ever imagine that he will spare you and I at times no pain, no disappointment to rid us of what he hates and what can and will destroy us and others, and that is our sin. That is our pride. That is our anger. That is our wickedness, how brutal we can be towards people. Suffering is not outside the will of God. It is the will of God. It is in God's will. Trials, suffering, persecution, they're not accidental. They're not interfering with God's plan. They're right part of his plan. A friend sent this to me just today. He said the bottom line assumption for anyone, and this is from R.C. Sproul, so it's good stuff. The bottom line assumption for anyone who believes in the God of providence, is that ultimately there are no tragedies. That God can, and that God will use every discouragement, every disappointment, every trial, everything that we would say is the greatest tragedy that I could ever face in this life, and he can use it for good. And I trust and I pray, Hope Church, please listen, please listen. That today, that no matter where you are, no matter what you are facing, whatever fear, whatever regret, whatever shame, whatever discouragement, whatever loss, how you feel that perhaps you've been cheated out by God or by others because of what's been going on in your life or what's not happening in your life, that you get to the point, and this is the point we have to get to, and see and to say and declare and to know that God loves us and that he is a plan even in this. God, whatever it is, whatever that is that, that we are holding on to, God, whatever it is, God, you have a plan to use that for my good. And so, folks, we need to expect it. We need to expect suffering. It's inevitable. It's part of God's plan and God's purpose. But second of all, how we can experience the best in the worst of times is we, second of all, we need to rejoice in it. Rejoice in it? You go, like, really? Rejoice in it? Rejoice in suffering and trials and hardships? Well, then is this Christian brainwashing 101? The power of positive thinking? No matter what happens, just buck up, buddy, and just keep on going. Yay! Let me rejoice in the suffering and the hardships. Yay! Let me lose friends, family members. Yay! Let them reject me. Yay! All for God's glory. Yay! When I lose my job or a promotion, or advancement, because I decide to obey and follow God in His Word. Yay, when I get lower grades because I take a stand for truth. Yay, when I get ridiculed and laughed at, mocked, or sidelined. God's Word says rejoice. And not in a yay kind of, but from the heart. Rejoice, why? How? How do we do this? Look what it says. Verse 13, but, but even prior, suffering is an evidence of our union with Christ. Get that through our head, write that down. Suffering is an evidence of our union with Christ. Look at verse 13, it says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed 
because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. This is amazing. Christ suffered to endure what we so deserve. And he does tell us that, yes, we are going to suffer here in this life. He suffered and so will we. But if we are living for his mission and for his glory, as we desire to live daily a life that is pleasing, that is honoring to him, not perfectly, because none of us have and are and able to do that. But when we, this is our mission, this is our heart's desire, we are then an extension of Christ's life. We share in not only his sufferings, but we also suffer, we also share in his glory, in his strength. And look how they treated Jesus with insults and rejection and beatings and the cross ultimately. And our suffering oftentimes, when we're suffering properly, when we're suffering and going through life, can be an indication oftentimes that we're on the right track. We're not looking for suffering. We're not looking for a fight. Whether it's the little bumps that happen in life or the big things that take place, it's how we act, react to it, is an indication that we are following him. And we are to rejoice we are to rejoice because one day our suffering will be rewarded, God's word tells us. It will be reward, rewarded when his glory is one day revealed. How awesome is that? And some who have suffered, who are suffering, listen up. You're suffering right now. You're going through some, some difficulties and hardships and trials. Your faithfulness may never be rewarded on this side of eternity. Perhaps you've suffered or you've served faithfully and instead of being loved and appreciated, the opposite happened. Perhaps you haven't or aren't often thanked or acknowledged or appreciated for, for how you have served the Lord. And maybe even in the midst of that, you've been treated horribly. Maybe in and through life you've endured suffering and pain and hardship and rejection and tra tragedy. But God's word says that one day, one day our faithfulness will be rewarded. That one day there will be a thanks. And how great that thanks could and I trust would be for each one of us. That one day we will hear his voice as we look at our Savior in the eyes and he says, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Church, listen up. Listen up, faithful servant of God. Listen up. No faithfulness will go unrewarded. No trusting God in the midst of hard circumstances, though it may look like you've lost here on earth, will not go unrewarded on that day. Because sometimes we want to quit, don't we? We want to give up. But understand, God is no man's debtor. He will reward may not be here on this earth, but it will be for sure in heaven. And you know, oftentimes I think that pastors, ministry team leaders, people who are on the stage oftentimes who are up front, get a lot of praise and encouragement and acknowledgement. And that's a good thing to be able to do. But then there are those, the many. For every handful of people you see on the stage, you see many more handfuls of people working behind the scenes. 
in various capacities, doing the little things we might say or we might think in our own lives or when we do these things, but little things that would become big issues or problems if it wasn't for their faithfulness. And oftentimes these things, no one notices, but the Lord watches over it all and He rewards. And some of those that I think on that day will be specially rewarded, I think of pastor and elders' wives and kids, ministry team members and their spouses and their families who often sacrifice much for God's work, oftentimes behind the scenes, times being left at home alone, at times with the kids, while the spouse is out ministering. And then when difficulty comes, they cry many tears. They pray many prayers. They give wise counsel to their spouse when they face hardships or discouragement or attack. When their spouse is maybe treated harshly or treated terribly. And I'm thankful for the faithful servants we have like that in our church. And I'm thankful and I can't believe that Charlotte has stuck it out with me for so long. And there's many others who are like that. The Lord knows and the Lord sees and he rewards. And what does he say here? What does God's word say? Rejoice! Rejoice when the fiery trials come. I'm at work, he says. I'm at work in every situation, pruning, refiring. Even though the furnace may be getting hot at times, I'm burning off the dross. I'm burning off the garbage, the impurities, so that your faith will be bolder and stronger and more beautiful. John Piper, he said this, when you are thrown into the sea of affliction, keep on rejoicing. Rejoice not in spite of the affliction, but because of it. That's good. God is at work refining and shaping and one day rewarding and bringing forth great joy. But in the meantime, like in, in James chapter 1, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Beautiful. Rejoice, we are being refined. There's a steadfastness and an endurance that he's building as we become more and more like Christ. But notice this, we can also rejoice knowing that suffering for Jesus invites the presence of God, and this is the amazing part. What a promise. Verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That's a pretty powerful team. The spirit of glory and if God rests upon you, what a reality, what a truth, what a promise, what a hope. The spirit of glory and of God, this is so awesome. This is talking about the Shekinah glory of God that we see in the Old Testament that would descend upon the tabernacle, that would descend later on upon the temple, and the people would be undone. This is about the very presence of God showing up in such a massive and overwhelming and overpowering way. To overwhelm the entire environment or the situation that you thought just prior to, to whatever it is that it is that you're facing, that there's no way I could ever do it. But as you go through it, God's kind of glory shows up. And here Peter is saying, whatever you are facing, God will send his Shekinah glory to encompass your life. 
His presence, the greatness of His power, it will be so strong, it will be unmistakably God. However difficult the trial, the suffering, God, He will raise it up. His level of power, His level of glory, more than whatever it is, the suffering or the trial. He promises to do that. And He does that. In Acts chapter 7, when Stephen, the first martyr, was being stoned to death for his faith in Jesus Christ. He looked up into heaven and he saw Jesus in heaven and experienced there. Not only did he see Jesus, but the Shekinah glory of God upon his life that helped his last moments on earth to end. Probably without any pain or any physical pain or suffering because God's power just overwhelmed that. Suffering Christians do not have to wait for heaven in order to experience God's glory. You can experience it now. When in the midst of whatever it is that we face, that we rest and we put our trust and our hope in God. Many of God's people, many of you, you could give testimony to this. Of God's presence, His glory, His overwhelming in your life, in your family, when you've walked through the dark and the deep waters. Where all of a sudden, God just carries you through that trial. God carries you through that storm. Many of you can give testimony to that. And this also explains how the martyrs could sing praises to God while bound up in the midst of blazing fires and not recant their faith. This also explains how martyrs could, 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 could be lit on fire and die in this way, but how persecuted Christians throughout the centuries, including today, can go to prison and face death without complaining, without resisting, without recanting. Because of God's presence. God's overwhelming power and presence in their lives. And maybe you wonder, but I don't know if I would have the faith. I don't know if I would have the boldness to take, if I was to take a strong stand for my faith and I was to be rejected and face suffering and persecution. I don't know. Maybe I would recant. Maybe I would back away. If my point of suffering caused me to, uh, to go to jail or to even face death, I don't know what I would do. I hope I wouldn't, but I, I don't know. But you see, the thing is when we stand for Christ in that moment, see, we want it ahead of time. We want the guarantee ahead of time. It doesn't work that way. It's in that moment that we stand for Him and we declare that He then stands with you. He pours out His grace, His glory at just the right time time in the amount that is needed and God is never lacking in what he can supply for his children listen up in great suffering on earth there is great support from heaven when we suffer here on this earth there is great support from heaven and God's glory the spirit of glory the spirit of power of God is available but you know what that starts today that starts today in the little areas by seeking to live a holy life, by seeking to be loving, to seek to bring truth, seek to bear witness for Christ and not turn aside from risk. That's how it starts today, to be building that up in our lives so that we would be men, women, young people, children of conviction on God's word. And doing this, seeking to live a holy life, seeking to be loving, even when people are hurtful or hateful, seeking to bring truth to situations, seeking to bear witness for Christ, 
and not turning, a, turning aside from risk, it will bring on the battle. But it will also bring on great support and help from heaven. Third way that we can experience the best and the worst of times, we see it in verses 15 to 18. And it says we must examine our lives. We experience the best and worst of time, and it's a guarantee, and this hope and this help is, is available, but we must be examining our lives. We must be examining our suffering, what we're facing, what we're going through. Look at verse 15. It says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. You know, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. When we suffer, we have to examine our lives. We need to examine the suffering and ask, why am I suffering? Simple question. If you're a murderer or a thief, yeah, there are certain consequences that you face. That's not a fiery trial that you just are going to kind of hope that is going to simply go away. No, if, if you're suffering because of that, you're going to face, and rightfully so, certain consequences. If you're cheating money, cheating on your taxes, on your exams at school, Stealing time from your boss. Taking what doesn't belong to you. Don't be upset. Don't be angry if you get fired or you get a lousy mark, you get found out and land yourself in a heap of trouble. No, you brought it upon yourself. And yet even there, God's grace, when we turn to him and surrender, his, his grace is sufficient and, 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 and he's a God of new starts and new beginnings. But notice it also says, it talks about a murderer and a thief, but then it says a meddler. That's interesting that he would throw that in about sticking your nose where it doesn't belong, about being a busybody, a gossip, perhaps an instigator, or today maybe we'd call you a, a social media troll, someone looking for a fight, someone who just wants to play all the time the devil's advocate, and sometimes that can be good, but the word devil seems to at times really fit really well for that description, where you're just trying to meddle, you're just trying to stir things up, and then all of a sudden you wonder, how come I don't have any friends? How come no one likes me? That's not biblical suffering. Smarten up. Grow up. <laughs> Look at what it says here. Verse 17. Because believer, come on, smarten up. He's telling us, verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Peter is saying, church, come on, wake it up. Come on, wake up. Let's get going. This judgment that he's talking about is, is not about a judgment of condemnation. This is the judgment on how we are handling the trials and the difficulties that we are facing. This judgment isn't for condemnation. It's, it's about our faithfulness to stand, to endure trials and hardships, and doing so by standing on God's word and standing on truth, but doing so in a loving way. Even today, this past week, the last number of weeks, we are watching some unbelievable things that happen in Alberta and in our nation, here in British Columbia regarding religious gatherings. A pastor remains in jail in Alberta for preaching, for ignoring the 15% mandate for church attendance outlined by the province of Alberta. And the war in and outside the church of Jesus Christ is nasty. But this pastor and his elders, based on their convictions from God's word and in care for their people, made a decision to defy the government mandates. And, and, and I would encourage you, before you come to your own personal conclusions 
on this and, and start to tell and share it with everyone, I'd encourage you to listen to Pastor James Coates' message from Grace Life Church from Romans 13 that he preached on February 14th. Listen to his heart as he preaches. Hear his convictions from God's word and how that situation around them and for their church led them, him and their elders to go against the health mandates. I think before we start criticizing and forming conclusions, you have to listen to, to that and to hear how, how they landed where they have landed. There are other pastors, some I know personally in Alberta, pastors, elders, churches that have landed in a different place than Grace Life Church. The thing I appreciate in what I've seen and read about Pastor James Coates as well as his wife is that they have taken this stand with humility, with grace, with boldness, and with a deep, incredible respect towards the RCMP and government leaders. Sadly, many pastors and Christians have not done this. We've been very mean and rude in those officials over us, and that ought not to be. Yet their stand has led to certain consequences, justifiably so, that some of you would say and others would say that's not right. I'm not here to debate or, or argue about that. And, and if you disagree with him and land at a different place than he and his church, that's okay. But I believe that the days, this is the where we need to be praying. We need to be praying for the church of Jesus Christ in our nation. That we would be praying for one another, that we would be stand and ready to take a stand when God calls us to do so in our lives. Are you taking advantage of the gospel growth opportunities that, that you have now? Some of you have been asking, wondering, What's our church going to do on this? Are we praying? Do we have the right heart? Is it a heart of anger, a heart of defiance or rebellion that we have, or is it a heart for God? And, 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 and before we even, even get into any of those kind of conversations, it's so important that we're looking at our own lives. How is my heart before God? What are my motivations, one way or another, where I land on this? Are we taking advantage of the gospel growth opportunities? Are you in a group? You need to be in a group. You need other brothers and sisters, and you can meet in person or on Zoom. Are we uniting together in prayer for and with one another for great wisdom? Thursday night's prayer night was a little bit better. Missed many of you there. And again, I know that some of you, it's busy and you have things going on in life, but I encourage you to be a part of that, that we would pray together and unite our hearts and, and pray for your leaders here at Hope as we discern what, is, what God is guiding us to do. Not in, in, in leading through COVID-19, but then also as God is leading us as a church in multiplication and what he would have for us. God has entrusted this flock into our care and we need to lead wisely and in the word and in the wisdom of God. But I wonder today, it's so easy to look at everyone else and wonder how they're doing it. We all need to examine our lives. Are we standing for truth? And are we doing so in a loving, in a, in a humble way and yet with boldness? We're not to be out looking for a fight or to make a statement. We're called to be faithful. And may we desire to live a life like that. And we must ask ourselves the question, what does faithfulness look like? What does faithful being faithful to God's word in your context look like today for you when it comes to obeying or standing on God's word, knowing that it will cost and the way that things are coming on the horizon, it's going to start costing more if we're going to take a stand. When you are cornered at the office, in the classroom, over lunch, 
or by one of your neighbors out on the street, or by some friends or a group of friends, and you are asked, hey, what do you believe, or what does the Bible have to say about homosexuality or abortion or transgenderism? Knowing that the biblical response could easily make enemies out of some of these people in your life. How about when it comes to dating an unbeliever? You may call it missionary dating and know full well that it isn't in the Bible, and you ought not to do that, and yet, yes, for some, it has worked. Where the missionary dating saw that person come to faith in Jesus Christ, and you're like, yeah, it turned out not too bad for them or for me. But I could tell you for everyone that it's turned out well for, I could come up with a list of 10 people where it hasn't turned out well for. And there's stories of hardships and difficulty. Are you willing to take a stand and say no? Are you willing to remain single rather than compromise? If so, God's glory in those decisions will fall and rest upon you. When you are in a church Bible study, perhaps even, or a group of Christian friends, and, and, and someone brings up some false doctrine or some false teaching, and are you ready to take a stand and to be bold in loving and perhaps leave that group or perhaps leave that church in honor of God's word if that's the direction that it is going? Students, do you give in when... What do you do when the class lecture or you're writing a paper or an exam? Do you say what the teacher and the professor wants to hear so that you will get a better mark? Or are you true to biblical convictions knowing it could cost you when it comes to your grades or even being ridiculed by classmates or even your teacher or your professor? Are you willing to take the stand? Take whatever trial you're facing even right now, health, financial, relationship, Whatever it might be, a fear, a disappointment with God in the circumstances that you are facing, take that today. Do you believe that in God's word and by his spirit at work in your life that he can so overwhelm that situation for you to be able to take that stand and to do so with boldness but with love, speaking the truth in love, with the spirit of grace and forgiveness, that he can take that and he can overwhelm that situation and overwhelm your life with boldness and with love and protection. See, Romans 8.28 is a great verse, and here's a summary of it. What God allows us to go through, he will work it for our good. What God allows us to go through, he's going to work it for our good no matter what it is. But in it all, will we trust him? Will we worship? Will we commit? Knowing that in what seems to be at right now, perhaps for you, the worst of times, they can become the best of times for the glory of God. And here's the very last thing as we bring this to a close. I encourage you to take whatever it is that you are experiencing or facing or where you know you need to step up up to the plate and take a stand. You need to entrust it. Look at verse 19. It says, Therefore, let those who suffer to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You entrust our souls to the faithful creator. That word entrust is a banking term. To make a deposit for safekeeping. And so we take it, child of God, take it, whatever it is that you are going through, whatever you are facing. Take it and, and place it in God's bank. Entrust it into Him by faith. And do that every day or every moment of the day. When the evil one, when, when your flesh wants to fight, say, God, I'm entrusting this in, into the God who created all things. To the God who's sustaining all things. 
The God who can overpower any and all situations, but has seen fit for me to walk through this. May I reflect and share His glory. This command here is in the present imperative meaning. We keep on doing this every day. Every day choosing to entrust and deposit while we do good. While we serve the body of Christ. As we serve those around us. As we do good. God takes care of His children. And so I wonder today, what do you need to entrust to Him today? What is it that you need to entrust into His hands? That person, that friendship, that stand, that thing in the past that you know you maybe need to come clean on and you know it's going to cost if you, if you come clean on it, will you entrust it into His hand? Let's pray. And God, we are so thankful and so mindful that in all things you work for our good. And God, I pray that we would trust you and believe you in that. That whatever it is that the child of God that is listening here today is going through and experiencing, that we would be able to entrust it to a faithful creator, the God who created the heavens and the earth, and that wasn't too hard for him. Would we run to this God daily? And would we see what we are going through as something to strengthen and to purify and to refine us so that we would reflect more and more of Jesus? And God, we are so thankful that because of your faithfulness that we've seen throughout your word to your people and in church history through the generations, you've been so faithful in the past. God, we trust and believe in faith that you will be faithful now. May we sing that with worship and praise adoration, and faith here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.